Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um, Today we're going to switch gears back to the world of literature. And in particular, I want to do one poet uh, specifically. Uh, I want to do Christina Rossetti today, some of her poetry. Uh, Christina Rossetti, I think, is a good uh, place to go after we did the British Romantics last time. Uh, Christina Rossetti is part of the uh, Victorian... uh, literary movement that that follows the romantics so she kind of comes in after uh, the romantic movement that we were just discussing Um, and so you'll see some contrasts between her and her style and what we saw in the romantics Um, after the romantic movement um, it kind of split directions uh, between where England went and where the rest of the um, the rest of the countries that were had the same movement went um, most of the rest of the countries went into realism um, and the uh, England went into the Victorian poetry um, and both of realism and the Victorian uh, movements um, are really reactionary against uh, some of the excesses of romanticism so I want to do Uh, two poems completely by Rossetti and then one I'm going to do just parts of Um, but I think you'll get a good sense of how they differ but how some of the things uh, seem to be continued a little bit as well because not only do literary movements reject uh, the ones that came before them they also build on some of the ideas and we'll see that with the poems we're doing today Uh, the first one I want to do is called um, Crying My Little One Footsore and Weary. Crying My Little One Footsore and Weary. Fall asleep, pretty one, warm on my shoulder. I must tramp on through the winter night dreary while the snow falls on me colder and colder. You are my one, I have not another. Sleep soft, my darling, my trouble and treasure. Sleep warm and soft in the arms of your mother, dreaming of pretty things, dreaming of pleasure. Now, this is a very short poem, but you get a very different sense of um, the individual in particular. Uh, In the Romantic movement, there was a a large sense of the individual being uh, the thing that's important. In the Victorian poetry, you see a lot more emphasis on duty being what is important. Uh, One of the things they felt about the Romantics, the Victorians, was that it was a very selfish and self-destructive movement. So they kind of had a reaction to it and moved back towards the idea of society. And this is kind of one of the shifts that you see happen in literature all the time and you see happen in political theories all the time. You'll have these hard shifts back and forth between the individual is important. No, it's the group that's important. No, it's the individual. And you you move back and forth between these two. Uh, And both uh, shifts generally tend to go very far uh, into that direction. And so they tend to be things that uh, sabotage themselves. If you go too far into the individual, then society's cohesion breaks down. If you go too far into everything is about the group, uh, you lose the ability to have innovation. You you lose the ability to have new ideas and to move forward. Everybody's on the same page. Everything stagnates quickly. So both of these are kind of always a reaction to the other, and both of them sort of go too far 
requiring the reaction to go the other way. Now in this one, uh, you kind of get a, the contrast between childhood and adulthood in this poem. Um, you know, the mother is sort of having to try to take on all of the uh, sorrows and troubles and uh, toils of the world so that she can shelter her child. And her child can just dream about pretty things, dream about nice things. Um, and this is one of the things that you see a lot in Victorian literature. Um, the fairy tales that we're, we all grew up knowing, um, all of those were greatly changed in the Victorian period. Um, most of them did not have happy endings. Uh, Little Red Riding Hood was eaten by the wolf. Uh, Hansel and Gretel were eaten by the witch. Um, <clears throat> mainly because these were cautionary tales. These, these fairy tales. They were kind of similar to our urban legends. They were ways of, you know, keeping children from wandering off, keeping children from talking to strangers. You know, they sort of emphasized the, the dangers of the world. Uh, and these were, you know, logical things to have because in Europe in that time period, if you wandered too far from the village, it would be pretty easy to be lost forever. You know, large tracts of Europe were wilderness, and if you got lost in them, there was no finding you uh, unless you found, got lucky and found your way back. Um, if you talked to strangers, it might be, you know, a, a, a roving bandit from another area that's just kind of coming through the area and killing people or kidnapping people. So you had to instill this fear of the world outside. Well, during the Victorian period with the fairy tales, they all get happy endings. And this is one of the things that the Victorians really did is they tried to shelter children from every reality. Well, the problem is then you get to where you see with this mother. Um, she is, uh, she probably grew up sheltered and dreaming about pretty things and nice things. And this didn't quite prepare her for the life that she had to lead once she shifted into being the adult. So <clears throat> the uh, thing that we see here is very much Victorian. It's, it's very much the idea that, you know, the adults have duty and they need to do their duty and shelter the children from every reality. And then eventually those children will be forcefully thrown into that reality. Okay. <clears throat> I want to do another poem of hers. Uh, this one kind of switches gears a little bit uh, um, and is going to kind of take us into another area that is partially Victorian but partially picking up from things of the Romantics and, and preceding things that come much after, uh, especially in feminism. Uh, the, the name of this poem is In an Artist's Studio. One face looks out from all his canvases. One self-same figure sits or walks or leans. We found her hidden just behind those screens. That mirror gave back all her loveliness. A queen in opal or in ruby dress. A nameless girl in freshest summer greens. A saint, an angel, every canvas means the same. Uh, the same one meaning, neither more or less. He feeds upon her face by day and night. And she with true kind eyes looks back on him. Fair as the moon and joyful as the light, not wan and wanting, uh, not wan with waiting, sorry, not with sorrow dim, not as she is, but was when hope shone bright. 
not as she is, but as she fills his dream. Now, this is sort of uh, really puts together the idea of what women were supposed to be uh, in the Victorian period, um, especially upper-class women. They were supposed to be beautiful and uh, an object of adoration for uh, the men. Um, notice that this doesn't go into anything about the feelings of the girl in the pictures, in the paintings, until the last couple of lines. And this is kind of carrying on a little bit the feminism that starts out in the Romantic period, but doing it in a much more subtle way. Um, it's, this is not as a direct an attack, um, but it is still showing the woman's position and how she is um, supposed to be always cheerful, always happy, always smiling, uh, regardless of how she actually feels. You know, even if that those feelings are not what she's feeling, and this actually goes far beyond the Roman or the Victorian period as far as what was expected of women. If you look at women's magazines in the United States in the 1950s, uh, they very much were talking about how, you know, your husband goes out into the real world and has real troubles, and you shouldn't bother him with your petty troubles around the home. You should always have your makeup done and your hair nice and your dress should look good and the house should look good when he gets home and you should be smiling and listen to his problems because he has the real problems and, and you your problems are inconsequential. So you can kind of see that this attitude towards women was carried on for quite a while, that, that women were just supposed to be this beautiful thing to adorn, uh, you know, the arm of their man. Um, and even early on, Rossetti's kind of drawing some uh, criticism of this. Um, and, he, and she's talking about the fact that this woman in the painting in the last couple of lines isn't the way you see her, it's the way he wants her to be. And so you kind of have this idea of the look of the other um, that Sartre talks about, but also in more particular the, the male gaze that feminist writers in the 20th century talk about. This kind of idea that this look of the other turns you into an object. And um, the male gaze in particular is directed towards women and objectifying women and making them... Uh, simply nothing more than something that should be pretty for men to look at um, and completely disregards any of the humanity of the woman, uh, makes her seem like that is her only function and she shouldn't want anything beyond that. And even early in Rossetti, you kind of see this rejection of that idea. It's not a overt re rejection like you would have seen in the Romantics or as you would have seen in some of the later feminist writers, but that criticism is still there. This is one of the things about poetry that has always dri driven me towards poetry. Uh, poets are always uh, rebellious, even the ones that are seemingly writing innocent poetry. There's often hidden barbs in there. There's hidden daggers at things that they don't see as being uh, good. Um, they may gloss it over, they may look at, make it look like, you know, everything is fine, but they really often throw a lot of sharp social criticism, and poetry has always done this from ancient times through the present. 
Okay, I want to go into parts of another poem of hers that kind of build on this a little more, uh, a a little more openly. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read about five of the stanzas. Uh, The name of the poem is No Thank You, John. You know I never loved you, John. No fault of mine made me your toast. Why will you haunt me with a face as wan as shows an hour-old ghost? I dare say Meg or Mal will take pity upon you, if you'd ask, and pray don't remain single for my sake, who can't perform that task. I have no heart. Perhaps I have not. But then you're mad to take offense that I don't give you what I haven't got. Use your common sense. In the last couple stanzas, let us strike hands as hearty friends. No more, no less, and friendship's good. Only don't keep in in... Ulterior in view, ulterior ends and points, do, and points not understood. In open treaty, rise above quibbles and shuffling on and on, off and on. Here's friendship for you if you like, but love, no thank you, John. So this is kind of uh, almost a direct response to a lot of the poems that have been written throughout history, where the uh, the male is writing these poems, trying to convince the woman to. Uh, become his lover to to just you know give in and and give him what he wants and this is sort of the female's perspective of this is like no I don't have that I I never will have that Um, you're wasting your time so it's kind of a a pushback against this the idea that well if a man you know woos a woman well enough and, and with enough vigor that she should eventually submit to that man and this is more of a stance of no, you're not getting that. I don't. I don't care. You're wasting your time. You're wasting my time. Uh, we can be friends. I'll offer you friendship if you want, but take take that somewhere else. So again, this is very uh, different from the view that you get from a lot of the male writers in the Victorian period. This is very much from the female perspective and from the perspective of kind of rebelling against what women were supposed to be while still doing it mildly enough to remain within the system. You know, uh, Rossetti was very popular in her time period. She didn't uh, suffer a lot of the uh, problems that Percy Shelley did, where Percy Shelley, when he wrote his things, they were so controversial and in your face that most of them were outright banned or considered obscene or... um, you know, revolutionary. So they they were uh, kept from being published, a lot of them, in his lifetime. Uh, whereas Christina Rossetti kind of makes these subtle criticisms underneath of society and of the way women are viewed and treated, um, but does it in a way that uh, kind of eats away a little bit behind the scenes instead of being a direct frontal assault. And this is one of the things that poetry has always been good at, it takes things that everybody sees and knows and things that are common objects and it shifts them a little bit so people look at them from a different perspective and if you look at them from a different perspective sometimes it will cause you to question um, why do we see the things the way we do and should we be seeing them this way and should we be uh, moving uh, things in a different direction so Okay, I'm going to break off for there. Uh, I highly recommend Christina Rossetti. Uh, She has many, many 
uh, amazing poems. Goblin Market is uh, is another one that she does that's amazing. I would have done that one, but Goblin Market is fairly long, uh, and it's it's pretty easy to find. Uh, <clears throat> so I would highly recommend Christina Rossetti, um, and, and sort of get a sense of how she's uh, contrasting with the Romantic movement, and yet you can still see elements of that in there, and how she kind of also. Um, presupposes things that will come after her. Okay, I hope all of you are doing well and staying safe, and I hopefully will talk to you again soon. Thank you.